Welcome to this episode of Risk Engineers Talk Governance. In this episode, due diligence engineers Richard Robinson and Gay Francis talk about the demise of LARP. Please enjoy the episode. If you have any feedback, please let us know. Also, make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcast platform and give us a rating. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Richard. Welcome back for another podcast session. Delight to be here, Gay. Okay, today we're going to talk about something that's been quite controversial, I guess, the demise of ALARP. And I guess just as a background, um, it's surprising for us that this conversation, discussion continues, that there's um, no difference between ALARP and SOFARP. And um, we sort of stumbled across a, a LinkedIn posting um, that had used a couple of our, our diagrams that was, were used to explain what we perceive the difference between ALARP and SOFARP was and it ge has generated a whole lot of discussion in places that we probably didn't expect it to generate any discussion. Um, so we just wanted to touch on it again and I, if you've listened to any of our podcasts or read any of our blogs, you will know that we have written about this topic on a number of occasions in a number of different ways. Um, so again, we're here today and we're going to talk about ALARP and SOFARP. Yeah, it kind of puzzles us because I did a lecture tour of the UK a very long time ago in the late 90s at London, Leeds and Glasgow and I had a number of people from the UK Health and Safety Executive tag along and listen to me um, because they were using, they had proposed this ALAP using target levels of risk and safety and quantified risk assessment techniques. Um, and it always surprised me because the, the, the uh, you know, ALAP didn't exist before the UK used the Health and Safety Executive had dreamed it up. And the notion of SOFARP, so far as we can tell, was basically... It wasn't exactly coined because it always was in the UK 1974 uh, UK Health Safety and Work Etc Act as the way to do it, um, but it always mystified us that, 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 that this quantified risk assessment approach ever appeared in the first place using target levels of risk and safety because it never worked. Um, now, in, in fact, as uh, R2A in Victoria, for example, with the major hazards regulations, um, we had lots of interesting arguments with the major hazards regulator in the late 2000s, uh, and we basically said, if you guys are going to keep using... QRA using target levels of risk and safety defining whether people living near a major hazard site are safe or not. We can't do business with you. We will not do business on major hazard sites and we just stepped away from it. We did. We walked away from doing that sort of work just because it didn't make sense. Didn't make sense. And in fact, one of the things that, um, it, it's quite interesting, one of the things that, um, uh, one of the reasons why we stopped being risk engineers and became due diligence engineers because it became patently clear to us that that using that so-called ALA approach, using target levels of risk and safety, meant you, you couldn't possibly demonstrate due, due diligence, which was always a defence against negligence in the common law, um, and which got elevated into statute law by the Victoria in the IHS Act in 2004 and the WHS legislation subsequently. Now, with regards to major hazard facilities, which in the IHS Act in Victoria is the enabling legislation, because of a recent um, VCAT case in which we were, we were acting as expert witnesses, it actually, and the major hazards Victoria actually drawn a one kilometre consequence boundary around the outside of the major hazards sites. Um, you can look up these uh, boundaries because it varies according to what the kind of major hazard site is, but the one kilometre one's the common one, I've got to say. just Which just is the outer safety bar um, boundary. Outer safety boundary. But it's strictly a consequence curve. And um, uh, as a result of us pushing the point in the tribunal, uh, WorkSafe, the major hazards had to turn up and explain what this boundary was and how they'd gone about doing it. And they actually summarised in their submission from their solicitor 
from the legal counsel for WorkSafe to the tribunal, so this is now formal, and all this information, because it goes through the public uh, process, uh, if it isn't available right at this point, it will be available when the decision is made with regards to the particular matter. But irrespective of, of what the decision is with the particular matter with the, the young couple that we discussed previously to get their permit or otherwise, the fact that Major Hazard has produced the consequence concur um, and formally advised a tribunal that they have done so on a consequence basis basically means, from our point of view, that the ALAP process in Victoria just died completely. It is not even worth discussing the difference anymore because you have to do it based on a consequence level. Now, um, this is quite to us quite extraordinary. I mean, um, uh, Thomas Kuhn in his work, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, basically explains moving from one paradigm to the next. And the example he gives is going from Newtonian mechanics to Einsteinian mechanics, and then these days you're going from Einsteinian mechanics to quantum mechanics. Each of these things seems to take a generation, which is about 20 years. The OHS Act came into Victoria in 2004, so and it's now 2023, <laughs> and they finally decided they're going to a consequence level. And this was after a major study using another large consulting engineering firm. And in their submission, they actually point out the fact that there was an argument between going with the quantified risk assessment approach, using target level safety, which basically said there was no hazard, which is what the council's been using in terms of providing planning permits. Don't worry about it. Mm. And um, to the consequence one, says, now you do have to worry about it. So, so really, it's disregards, and we've always done this for high consequence, low high likelihood events, it disregards the likelihood. So it says, this hazard is credible and critical, yep. what are you going to do about it? And the, and, the, and the risk assessment part is only applied when you're trying to explain why you're not going to do the possible practical precaution. It's decide, determining the balance, which we've talked on on a number of occasions as well. You know, when you're deciding what you're going to do about it, is it reasonable to do it? And then you can use risk assessment, which is the assessment of likelihood and consequence in the traditional terms that it means. And consistent with the legislation as to what defines reasonably practicable. See, one of the things that actually had us flabbergasted in part of this um, most recent discussion was this apparent, you know, the UK Health and Safety Executive said recently that there's no difference between ALARP and SOFAR. Um, well, if you redefine ALARP, so you don't use quantified risk assessment using target level risk and safety, then I suspect that's probably the case. A rose is still a rose by any other name. In which case, why do we using the distinction anyway? You see, and we got this quote from Felix Redmill, who's a professor, I'm not quite sure he's a professor, but he's a senior lecturer or something, at the, uh, an author we've used regularly for safety critical software from the University of Newcastle in the UK. And I think this quote is just worth explaining just because it just emphasises the point of what we're saying. You want to read it? I'm having can't read it from I this can. <laughs> <laughs> What confidence can there be that a risk deemed ALA would also be judged to have been reduced so far? Can the two concepts be said to be identical? They cannot. As already pointed out, they were defined by different parties, the lawmakers and the safety regulator, for different purposes, stating a legal requirement and offering guidance on a strategic approach to meeting it. But does one imply the other? No, there can be no argument. No, there can be no guarantee that the same ALARP decision would be arrived at by two different practitioners, and certainly none that an ALARP decision arrived at now in an industrial context would later be judged by non-engineers in a legal context to have met the SOFARP test. So that pretty clearly defines that there is a difference between the two. Yep. There's different approaches to determine the two. And as you said, why would you use a different term 
if the legal requirement is so far? Why are we even considering using ALARP? We've never understood. Well, we, we, what we mean by so far is we say, what are the credible critical consequences? What are the possible practical precautions in the circumstances using risk assessment? Which one of those is reasonable? That defines what what the reasonably practical precautions are entirely in the way in which the courts and the legislation considers it. Um, we just don't quite understand what the argument's about. We can't quite understand why everyone's so upset about it. All we've just been trying to do is explain that there's been this historical difference and, and that it really shouldn't exist. And from our point of view, at last, the major hazards in Victoria have basically said no more quantified risk assessment, meaning you discount the severity of the event by its unlikeliness. I, they didn't have any planning guidelines for a possible explosion that could emanate from this place, which was just bizarre. Mm. And so far as we can tell, if you ignore a hazard that can kill and maim people and it ever happens, everybody involved in that process is in serious trouble. Now, the point is regulators don't, as long as they're acting in good faith, only get a smack on the wrist. Um, but that wouldn't, that wouldn't protect, so far as we can tell, particularly if this young couple were building their house as builder owners because they've got a duty in that space as a, as a, as a party because they're hiring everybody. They're, they're, they're a responsible party under the legislation. Uh, but I would have thought the council was sitting in the gun too. Now, I know elected councillors under the OHS Act in Victoria don't have liabilities, but the officers do. And that's where it starts to get complicated and I think that's probably a... Um another podcast session, you know, where have all the technical experts gone? You know, the, the organisations that we... Well, the technical organisations that we often work for, um, there seems to be a reduced set or a reduced number of people that actually have the technical expertise in a business to deal with some of these hazards and have an understanding of the hazards that they have to deal with. Correct. But because I, I don't simply don't... You know, we were talk, trying to talk about the laws of nature in the tribunal, but I'm not altogether sure that the... the, the the tribunal actually really understood the seriousness of the issue in that sense. Hmm. So I think that's a whole other, you know, de-engineering organisations, technical organisations is probably a whole other podcast. Um, so just coming back to that, and I think the difficulty with some of this and, and certainly some of the comments that we've read on, you know, with the discussion, where this discussion's popped up here on LinkedIn is... Organisations and different bodies are trying to redefine what ALARP is and to be equivalent to or more in line with so far. And, and of course, if you're going to do that, then they, they are the same. And I think, um, you know, the more that you tweak it, but our understanding of the ALARP concept is it is still risk-based, consequence and likelihood, and as you said, the severity is discounted Correct. by the likelihood to give you an acceptable or tolerable level of risk. And that makes it pathological in James Reason's terms. Um, so we're sort of sticking to our guns that there is a difference and we've been supported by by a number of people that there is a well, difference between ALARP and SOFARP. And the Victoria Major Hazards has just said ALARP doesn't exist anymore, um, which is a bit of a relief to us. So we're happy to do work for Major Hazards again, aren't we, Gay? <laughs> We would be, Richard. We would be. Um, but as we always say, you know, before we start any consulting work, we do test it with a legal counsel and if they're comfortable with the approach then, um, you know, and the method that, that you deal with with these technical issues, um, then it, it is worth testing. But there is a lot of discussion and a lot of ambiguity. Give it, give it. Go on, help me. Ambiguity. 
associated with with some of the discussions that's happening in the in in, in the public domains, I guess, at the moment. So hope you found our podcast interesting today. Um, the demise of ALARP um, certainly brings a smile to our faces, and um, certainly it does. We hope you can join us next time. <laughs>